So that was made by one of our young people. Uh, and really, it was just a, a way for us to give you a little bit of an idea of some of the things that we do. Uh, we, try and to, we try and provide as much as we can. I hopefully get, that gave you a little bit of a glimpse. I never hold the microphone close enough, do I? There we go. So I also wanted to fill you in on what we did in this room on Friday night. I forgot to mention it in the first service. So on Friday night, this room uh, was completely transformed. We hosted three bands. Then bands visited schools for the weeks coming up. Loads of your young people came. In fact, on Friday evening, this room was filled with 1,200 young people from around Leeds. That is amazing. A Friday night when kids could be doing... Loads of different things. They are in church. And not only that, on Friday evening, over 300 young people made a first-time commitment to start their journey with Jesus. It was such an amazing event to be a part of. We've got loads of footage. I don't know if, if, you, if you have Facebook. If you follow us, which is Domain Youth Works, you will see footage from the evening. It was a fantastic night. Um, but yeah, we're talking about journeys. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to unpack the impact that it has on our lives when we journey with Jesus and the significance that it has when we accept Jesus for who he is and then we start our journey with him. Now, Jesus asked his disciples a really direct question. And I believe it's the same question that he asks each one of us today. He started off his question asking about people. What do people say about me? Um, But that was secondary. What he was really concerned with is, what do you say? So we're going to read that in the Bible at the moment. So if you've got your Bible, could you turn to Matthew 16, please? And we're reading from verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn it from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. And whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. Then he sternly warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, that question that Jesus asked Peter, that question, who do you say that I am. It is a question that your whole life people will try and answer for you. It is a question that your friends will try and answer for you. It is a question that your school or your university lecturers or your family, it is a question that I will try and answer for you. But the truth of it is, is there's only one answer that's important. There's only one answer that's significant to Jesus and that is your answer. But like Peter, we can't really answer it until we've journeyed with Jesus. You see, Peter went on a journey with Jesus, and it was then when he had the knowledge, it was then when he had the ability to answer it properly. And not only that, when Peter recognized who Jesus was, something took place. There was a word spoken over his life. He received something when he realized who it was that Jesus is. 
So how is it we could know Jesus? Peter walked side by side with Jesus in a really physical sense. How can we come to know him? Where do we even begin to start? Firstly, I think it goes without saying that when you want to discover who Jesus is, the scriptures is the place to start. And today we're going to start with the things that Jesus said about himself. Okay, now people all around the world remember the teachings of Jesus. He is held up as a good moral teacher. And a lot of the time that's because we can't get past the fact that Jesus existed. Whether you're atheist, theist, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, it doesn't matter. Jesus was a man that existed 2,000 years ago and died. So what people do is they hold him up as this good moral teacher. But... Let me clarify one thing, and this is really important. We cannot maintain that Jesus was a great moral teacher because of many of the lessons that he taught, many of them were utterances about the nature of who he was. So he made certain declarations about who he was that would not enable him to be just a good moral teacher. C.S. Lewis says it better than I ever could. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He never intended to. So let's look at some of these claims, some of these claims that stop us from believing that he was just a good teacher. First of all, he said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is a big declaration that Jesus is making. And what I like about this story is he just fed the 5,000 people. he just given them, he just filled the bellies. And if you've got that one friend, that when you give them a little bit of food, you can't get rid of them. Yeah, mine's my daughter. She's like a puppy. Every time I've got some food, she's like, what you got? Can I have some? And this is what was happening. Jesus had done this miraculous thing. He'd fed over 5,000 people, and then people were following him. And he turns around to them and he says, do not be concerned with what you're putting in your stomach because I am the bread of life. You may momentarily get comfort from the food, from the bread, from the physical bread. But the bread that I can give you is the bread that gives you salvation. It's the bread that gets you into the kingdom of heaven. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. These are really bold claims that Jesus is making. These are massive. He's saying that it is through me that you get up there. You don't buy it. You don't earn it. You just come to me. These are massive claims. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, when I'm reading the Bible, I can't help but put myself in that position. Um, when I'm reading and I think to myself if I were a shepherd I've got let's say 15 sheep all here if I'm a shepherd and a lion 
comes on stage here and he's after my sheep. I'm going to look at the sheep. I'm going to look at the lion and I'm going to think, do you want some mint sauce with that? I like sheep, but I'm a shepherd. I can get more sheep. But what this passage tells us, first of all, he makes a distinction. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. Now, in my mind, that puts him here and it puts us a little bit lower because he is the shepherd. But then he readdresses that balance by saying, I will lay down my life for my flock. That's amazing. That, I just find that absolutely mind-blowing. See, these are not the words of a good moral teacher. They can't be. I like Andy Lancaster. I think he's great. I think he's a fantastic preacher. And he teaches good moral lessons and, and, and encourages, encourages us to be in relationship with God. But the moment that Andy Lancaster stands on this stage, sorry Andy, and says, I am God, is the moment I think he's a little bit bonkers. <sighs> or I'm going to think, what does he want? What does he want from me? I'm either going to think that he's crazy or I'm going to think he's after something. He's trying to readdress a bit of a power balance and he's trying to take something from me. This is often called the trilemma. Was he crazy? Is he bad? Or is he who he said that he was? And I think this is, it's this exact thinking that has underpinned our view of God. We look to God and we look for a transaction. What can we give him so that we get something in return? What can I do with my life so that I get into the kingdom of heaven? What can I give God so that I get good things? And this is very much largely based on how we interact with one another. But this is not a new notion. We have always looked at God in this way. In fact, if we can get the first slide. Can all the children and young people, can you all put your hand in the air for me? Right. Don't support it. Don't do this. Just put it nice and high. Now, I'm, I love studying other religions. I find them fascinating. I like to see how people practice. I like to see how people understand. Now, this man is called a ma. And a ma was unsure about how to get into heaven. He didn't know how to do it. So he worships the god Shiva. And his deal that he made was, if I give you my arm, will you let me into heaven? If I give you my arm, will that wipe away all the bad. That's the price that he paid. So he put his arm in the air. Have we got our arms in the air? Yes. He put his arm in the air and he kept it there. And after an hour, he was in agony. How are we doing? Are we all right? Yeah? yeah. After an hour, he was in agony. After a few hours, he had tears rolling down his face. He just could not handle it. And then he went to bed and it was all right because he got to lay down. But then the next day he got up and the pain continued. And after about six months, the pain stopped. And what happened is kind of like rigor mortis set in his arm and his arm just died. And now it's there. It doesn't come down. He has no, no, no muscle in it. Um, and he left his wife and his children and he wandered India, wandered around India. And that was the price that he paid. Are we doing? Are we all right? Are, are our fingers starting to get a little bit tingly? A little bit. All right, you can put them down now. That's fine. That was the price that he paid. Or there was uh, this person. Can we get the next slide? Simeon Stylite. All right. 
And it was very similar. He wanted to get into heaven. He wanted to earn his place in the kingdom of God. So he joined a monastery. And you know what? He found it too easy. He thought, it can't be this easy. If I'm going to spend eternity in heaven, it has to be more difficult than this. So he went to a cave and he lived in a cave. And he fasted and he didn't drink food or water for an extreme amount of times. And he was becoming quite famous. And he found it too easy. The price must be higher, is what he said, if I'm going to spend eternity with the Father. So he went outside. He thought, I'm not living in a cave. There's too much luxury in there. So he lived on a podium. No walls, no doors, no ceiling. And he started to become famous. So he took his podium up high and around about 50 feet. And he lived on that podium for over 50 years, trying to earn his place in heaven. And what I'm here to tell you today is that there is a price to pay. That there was always a price to pay. I do not believe that it's your arm. I do not believe that it's on a podium. I believe that it's acceptance and invitation. You see, I believe that Jesus paid the price for us so that we don't have to do things like that. You see, Jesus didn't get dragged to the cross kicking and screaming. In fact, he could have stopped it at any point. He went of his own will. He gave his life for you so that you didn't have to pay it. Because what he wants is he want us, wants us to be like Peter. That story about Peter, about Peter being the rock, I think is really fascinating. It's against the backdrop of Caesarea Philippi. Now in Caesarea Philippi, I had to look up that word on YouTube just to make sure I was pronouncing it right. YouTube's awesome. There was a temple and the temple had been built out from a rock face because in the rock was a, a spring of fresh water. So they had this temple there, and they worshipped among other gods. It was the Greek god Pan, who was half goat, half man. And they would bring sacrifices so that this water would always continue to give life. Because water is life. Especially somewhere like the Middle East that is so hot and at times so dry. That the, the city had built out of this town. So when Jesus said to Peter, you are my rock, and from you I will build my church. What he is saying is from you I am going to flow. From you, the living waters that are Jesus Christ, I am going to flow. And I believe that when we journey with Jesus, when we invite him into us, we all become that rock. We all become that well of Jesus. Let me give you an example of what I think the best case, in it, well, I say the best case, what I think it looks like. Those that have done Alpha, you will have probably come across a man called Maximilian Kolb. Now, he was uh, a man that felt called to share in the gospel. So at a very young age, he went and lived as a missionary in different parts of the world. In fact, in Japan, there is still one of his churches that he planted. This was around about the 30s. And when he went back to his home in Poland, Nazi Germany had occupied Poland. He was one of the lucky ones, though, because because he had German ancestry, they offered him citizenship, which in Polish, uh, in in Germany occupied Poland was a safe place to be. But you see, because he'd been journeying with Jesus, because he'd been journeying with the scriptures, what they believed and the way that they act, he couldn't reconcile them two together. So he said, no, he says, I don't want your citizenship. And he was arrested for it. 
that's not the end of the story. I think already he has showed immense courage, but that wasn't the end of the story. They let him go, and he went back to his church. And in the basement of his church, he set up a hospital where he helped to heal escaped Jewish people. And with a printing press, he would create papers so that he could help smuggle them out of Poland. That was amazing. The courage is just amazing. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. And it isn't a happy story in one sense because he was captured and he was taken to Auschwitz. But one of the things that stands out in this story for me is that while there, he continued to be a spring of living water. We have reports of him gathering people around and praying with them. I just want you to think about that for a moment. One of the darkest places in our history, one of the darkest times in our history, you have a man that is preaching the gospel, that is trying to save the lost. And he was often beaten for it, often had to be snuck to the infirmary himself. And then one day someone had tried to escape. I don't know if they'd managed to escape or not. But people had tried to escape. And in order to set a standard, they said, right, anyone that tries to escape, other people are going to pay the price for your attempted escape. So they got 10 people. They picked 10 people at random and said, you're going to be put in a basement and not given any food and water. He wasn't picked. But one of the men that was picked, as he was dragged away, he screamed, no, my wife, my children. So Maximilian Kolb stepped up and said, I'll take his place. And the guards report that even two weeks in to no food and no water, he was still praying. He was still journeying with Jesus. Now I'm going to put a slide on the screen at the back. And I want to know who it is that you say that Jesus is. I want to know what you think. All right. Now the way that you do this is you get your phone if you've got one, and you text the number at the top, which is 07480781235, and you text my name, Ashley Russell, with one L, 559. You just text that to that number, and then from that point, any text that you send will go on the screen. So I want to know, either in one word or a sentence, who is Jesus to you? Is he a friend? Is he your salvation? Is it? I don't know. And that's fine if that's what you write. But I want you to just get your phones out, those that have got them, and text in. And we'll see what comes up on the screen. If you're struggling with your phone, if you put your hand up, we'll get one of the young people to help you. I made a joke in the first service about older people not really knowing technology. But I hadn't activated this site, so it didn't work in the first service. Uh, So hopefully it'll work now. But if you can just text in and then we'll get, we'll get it up on the screen. I'll just give you a moment to do that. Are they starting to come through? Is it working this time? Is it coming through? Mother to the motherless and father to the fatherless. Oh, it's gone. It was there though, wasn't it? It's back again. There we go. My provider and friend. Jesus is my Lord and Savior and helps me through the dark times. The first I'm on the dead. Hello. Hello. This is amazing. You can keep these coming in. That's absolutely fine. But what I want to say is Jesus is many things 
to many people. But ultimately, what your opinion of Jesus doesn't change the actuality of who he is. And it's not until we recognize that he is God that we are empowered, just like them sheep. It's not until we recognize that he laid down his life for us. And within that, we become empowered. We become lifted. We become like a light, even in the darkest of times. You see, we don't journey with Jesus because everything then becomes all right. We don't journey with Jesus because then all of a sudden we become wealthy. We don't journey with Jesus because then all of a sudden we become healthy. That's not what we're called to do. We journey with Jesus because no matter what, no matter what happens in life, Jesus is always enough. That's why we journey with him. That no matter what life throws at us, Jesus is always enough. No matter how hard life gets, Jesus is always enough. But we have to walk with him. We have to journey with him. And I know it's all right for me to say that no matter how hard life gets, Jesus is always enough. Because I haven't walked the path that you've walked. I haven't struggled through the things that you've struggled with. But what I can say is that when you are in them dark times, when you are in them difficult times, invite Jesus in and watch things change. Invite Jesus in. We need to put him at the center of our pursuers. I truly believe that because Jesus is always enough. I want to thank you for this morning. We're going to invite the band up and we're going to invite Emmanuel up who's going to close for us in prayer. Just as they're making their way up, I just want to read this passage to you. It's 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10. And it says, Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing yet receiving everything. Journey with Jesus, people. He's enough. Thank you.